Welcome to the podcast of Euless First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening. We would love to have you worship with us in person. These messages come from our worship services Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11. We worship at 106 North Main Street in Euless, between Airport Freeway and Highway 10. May you feel the presence of God and may God bless you as you listen. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight because you and you only, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, if you've been here before, you remember that's almost verbatim the prayer I say almost every time before I preach. And you may also know it's a prayer taken from the Psalms because all of our prayers don't have to be our own words. It's fine that prayers are our own words coming out of us, but it's also fine that we borrow words from others, chiefly, in this case, the Psalms, um, to help us focus and to center us on what we want to do. And I I thought it especially um, important to share that with you this morning because today we launched this new series, Focus on the Bible. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be focusing on the Bible because we want to be people of the Bible. I'm a little concerned sometimes that the Bible gets used as a weapon so much that, uh, that we forget that that was not God's intent on giving us the Bible. Now, the whole idea of giving us the Bible is something that we're going to have to flesh out over the next several weeks because there are all kinds of different perspectives on how it is God gave us the Bible. Some people are convinced, I think, that God literally dropped the King James authorized version from heaven for the world to have. And there are others that put all their faith in the original manuscripts that were written at least 1,500, at least 18 or 1,900 years ago. And though we will never have those texts in our hands, people put their faith in these texts they will never see. We, as United Methodists, though, we're descendants of Wesley who was a man of one book. The one book was the Bible, and I don't think it mattered which version one might read. The point is read the Bible, become people of the one book. So our goal for this series is to help you, one, want to be a person who wants to spend time in the Bible because you may not be that right now. The Bible might for you mostly be something that collects dust on your coffee table when your family comes over so that, you know, they can see you're spiritual. It might be something for you that, uh, okay, it's Sunday, I gotta go hear the Bible read. It might be something that um, has been weaponized against you and you're tired of that. It might be something that you weaponized against somebody else. And I hope you're tired of that. So whatever it has been for you, I hope these next six weeks will help you um, build a different kind of relationship with these words that they might help us follow Jesus better than we have before. I'm convinced and become more so every day that that's why we have this. So today I want to tell you a story. It's a story about one of my kids, and I don't remember, I think I remember which one, but I don't have either, I don't have permission from either kid to tell the story, so I'm going to leave this uh, generic from one of my kids, okay? So one of my kids asked me a few weeks ago, Dad, do you know how many times the Bible says, do not fear? And I don't. But I know the answer. The answer is supposed to be 365. You might have heard it. Rick Warren said it, so everybody's heard it. Um, That the Bible says, do not fear 365 times. And that 
means that God wants us to know every day of the year, do not fear. However, there is not an English version of the Bible that includes the phrase, do not fear, exactly 365 times. And I hope that you're hearing me say that doesn't make you think that I don't believe the Bible. Because we've done this thing with our scriptures that if you buy it and hang it on, if you buy it at Mardell and hang it on your wall, it must be true. And it's, it, it, it's very um, reassuring and peace-giving to think that God would love us so much that he would write a book that includes do not fear 365 times, one for each day, even though when any of this was written, there weren't 365 days in the year. So I assure you, the message of the Bible clearly for God's people, I would argue for all of creation, is do not fear. And it matters not whether or not it says that in here 365 times because it doesn't. The clear message is do not fear no matter how many times specifically it says do not fear. So how do we learn to read the Bible? Not in ways that depend on cliches, but in ways that, that help us find life and strength and encouragement to follow Jesus. Well, I thought it might be helpful that we start with looking at how Jesus read the Bible. Now, you may probably know that Jesus didn't read all of this, that Jesus read at most this much, what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, and he didn't read it in this form because this form um, was a much later invention than Jesus. In Jesus' day, the Holy Scriptures were on scrolls and they were kept in synagogues because there weren't pocket-sized scrolls and nobody's phone had the internet, so they couldn't carry the Bible around with them. So, how did Jesus read the Bible and how can that inform how we, we read the Bible besides the fact that you and I can carry it around with us, whether we carry around this version or an electronic version that has hundreds of translations in dozens of languages. If you just carry this version or you carry it on your phone, let me share this with you from Luke 4. Jesus is fresh off being temptation, or tempted. He's been in the wilderness 40 days and he comes back to the Galilee in the power of the Spirit and he shows up at the synagogue in his hometown. It says, as was his custom, or as he normally did in this version. So, there's a good place to start. Jesus had a habit of participating in worship in his community. Number two, he stands up to read and he's handed a scroll. Okay, so he didn't come in deciding what he's going to read because he might not have known that he was going to get the Isaiah scroll, which might make you wonder if you're thinking ahead on this. So if Jesus had been handed the Deuteronomy scroll, what would he have picked to read? And you might wonder, if he'd been handed the Leviticus scroll, what would he pick to read? I think we have a clue here because Jesus picked, he's handed the Isaiah scroll, he scrolls to what we know 
as Isaiah 61, but he also throws in some of Isaiah 58. And he reads this according to Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Which sounds awesome, doesn't it? If you heard me, it sounded awesome. It sounded even more awesome to the people that were listening to him because they knew he wasn't just reading that, which is why he followed it up with something you might not want to do even though you're trying to read the Bible like Jesus. He said, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. You might want to stop short of reading a scripture and then claiming it's about yourself. But then what's Jesus doing here? So he's reading Isaiah 61 with a bit of Isaiah 58 thrown in. But he knew, this is why he chose that part, and he knew everybody in the synagogue there knew that he picked that for a really good reason, which he shows when he says today the scripture is fulfilled. Because Isaiah 61 refers back to Deuteronomy 25, Deuteronomy 25 and Leviticus 15. Where? In the start of God's people. You remember this part of the story. God's people are in slavery in Egypt, and God calls Moses to lead them out of slavery and deliver them to, to freedom. So on their way to freedom, they have to be taught how to live as free people because we as Americans tend to think it's easy to live as free people. Just do whatever you want. But imagine this. Imagine you're raised all your life in a very, very stern, strictly disciplinarian household. So stern, so strict, you don't get to make any decisions. Your parents decide for you every decision along the way, and somehow they manage to do that all the way through high school. You don't have any authority to make any decision. You get to drive a car, but only where they tell you and when they tell you. You get to go on the internet, but only the sites that their filter controls and you don't know a way around it, which I know is odd because that doesn't happen. And then imagine at, you're that child and you graduate from high school and all of a sudden the next day, your parents say, all right, whatever you want. See, everybody who's been a parent and really everybody who's had a parent knows that parenting is most successful if as children grow, they are given increasing amounts of responsibility not only to prove they can handle it, but nobody can handle all responsibility the day after having had no responsibility all of their lives. So, God's people are the same way. We can't handle all freedom when we've never had any. So we're set free, we have to learn how to live, which is where we get the first five books of the Bible. So in Leviticus chapter 15, God has set up this pattern for God's people to learn how to live as free people. The first day of the week, they do no work. Because they have to remember, wait, the last day of the week, they do no work because they have to remember that God rested on the seventh day. So people have to rest the seventh day too. And then they, they follow this pattern week upon week upon week. And then at the end of six years of following this pattern, they rest for an entire year. And they let the land rest. It's a Sabbath year. And then, because God loves the number seven, at the end of seven patterns of seven years, there's a year that uh, Leviticus 15 calls the year of Jubilee, when not only do they rest and they let their land rest, everything goes 
back to the way it was. People are set free. Criminals are set free. People who have sold themselves off into servitude because they have a debt, their debt's canceled and they're set free. People that sold land because they couldn't afford it anymore get their land back. Everything starts over in 50 years. And God's people had never lived that way. So when Jesus reads this passage from Isaiah 61, that they all know refers back to Leviticus 15 and Deuteronomy 25, and then he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, they are thrilled because they all know he's saying Jubilee is here. The year of the Lord's favor is here. And now everything is different now. And so they're all excited. Oh, isn't he cute? And they, you know, they pinch his cheek and things that people do to kids that are cute in church. Um, and then, then Jesus twists it on. And then he, he cites 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And he talks about Elijah go, going to a widow in Zarephath, which is not among God's people. And Naaman, this, who's a, a general from Syria, also not God's people. And healing them, why didn't, why didn't God do that for us? So I want you to notice a couple things here about how Jesus reads Scripture. One, he reads Scripture about himself. One of the most dangerous ways that we weaponize Scripture is we, it's like, God, help me know how to judge somebody else. And you read something about somebody else. Or you, you, find, you, you find support for the way you think things happen in the Scripture so you can use that against someone else. Jesus reads Isaiah to refer to himself. So Jesus reads the Scriptures to see how his life is connected with and affected by God's redemptive action in the world. And then, if that's not enough, Jesus takes these other people, all of whom know the Scriptures, because they, they know he's read, what he's read in Isaiah links to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So they know what's going on here, and they think it's about them, and God setting them free, and God rewarding them. And then Jesus takes it to this other place that God's not just about us. Even, even in what we call the Old Testament, this Syrian general is healed of leprosy. This widow from Zarephath has her needs met. They're not among God's people, and God's co God comes to them. So Jesus reads the scriptures, starting with what it says about himself, and then what it says about God's ministry to all the world. I'm sure that today, because today is the Sunday in which we mark Epiphany. Many of you know that because you grew up United Methodist or some other liturgical tradition. It's why we still have our tree up. You might have wondered. Tomorrow, January 6th, is, is Epiphany. It's the 12th day of Christmas, which means Christmas season is over. Time to take the decorations down, which is why we still have these candles lit. So we still remember hope and peace and joy and love, which I want you to remember all year, and why we light the Christ candle, because we're still celebrating the birth of Christ. But Epiphany means the manifestation of God to specifically, especially to the Gentiles, to people who aren't already God's people, to people who don't know that God loves them. And so Jesus' point with these people in his hometown is God is here and God is claiming this, this promise of jubilee that you've been waiting centuries for, and it's not just for you, it's for everyone. That's how Jesus reads the Bible. May we learn to read the scriptures through the eyes of the one that came to save us and all the world. Amen. Please pray with me.
good and great God, we rejoice that you have called us to live as your people, that you have blessed us with love and forgiveness, that having confessed our sins, we are absolved, we are clean, we are whole. God, help us to love your word. Help us to love the scriptures. Help us to find in them words that lead us to life and hope and peace. And not just us, but through us, all of creation. We thank you.